for 2022, I decided I wanted to put together sort of an ultimate volume of conversations for upcoming drummers and percussionists um, with some of the best people I've met in the industry since I've been playing music. So I hope that's what the next 12 days will bring us is 12 different insights from uh, all current active musicians from various spots um, in the entertainment world. Kicking us off is going to be my new worst friend, drummer for the Mountain Goats and Super Chunk, and someone I've been listening to since, since middle school. Ladies and gentlemen, John Worcester. Thank you so much for doing this, John. Uh, I've, I'm, I'm humbled and uh, honored that you said yes. Let's start there. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for always nice to be invited. Right on, man. So <laughs> the uh, idea is I'm going to try to assemble a great group of drummers together and just find out where the where your spark came from like where where did you find out that music was like this is my bag this is my thing and it's not going to go away um gosh where did i you know it, it's funny because i i don't really come from a musical family um we had a, a piano in the house but i i recall my dad kind of plucking away on it maybe twice ever so so there there wasn't really any music um you know uh i'm trying to think my my aunt played played something but but that was it other than that there was no musical aptitude other than you know like the the two inches of records that yeah. we had in the, in the house when i was a kid so it's very odd to me that i ended up doing what i have ended up doing because not that there wasn't support, but it just, it was just very um, out of the norm in, right. in my, in my family to, to have a, a, an intense interest in music. So, um, so I'm trying to think like where that, that would have started probably just from hearing AM radio. I grew up outside of Philadelphia, maybe, um, maybe thir 35 miles North, west very much like the the mennonite farm country so also not a, a very conducive not a atmosphere. no no so um but to to, uh, to answer your question i probably just saw bands playing on american bandstand on tv or yeah. you know the, the the odd clip of a band playing on, on television uh but the big thing was probably seeing uh, when I was in elementary school, every now and then you would either go to the junior high school or the junior high school stage band would come to see, you know, would come yeah. to play for you at your school. Cool. And that's probably the first place I ever saw drum set up close, like in, in the wild. Okay. And, and, you know, when you're a kid and you see a drum set, it's like a hot rod almost. So it's, it's like a car or something. You can do so, that. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's by far the most visually yeah. uh, riveting mm -hmm. instrument for like just you know, for for a child. So sure. I'm sure that's that's what drew me in. And thank God I had parents that that were 
supportive and and didn't just go oh no there's no That's way we're having drugs because it's such a commitment for parents to yeah it's so yeah. loud and you're so bad oh for, you know, for, so, for so long yeah. <laughs> um so sort of like a school pep rally type deal that sort of thing or or um yeah, you would just go to the junior high school for like a play or something. And okay. then like, you know, while you're filing in and just kind of to to entertain the kids, the mm -hmm. seventh or eighth grade band would play like, uh, what was the song they play? String of Pearls, which is just like a very basic kind of shuffle. Ding, da, ding, okay. ding, da, ding. And so it's just, it was just kind of captivating that like a, a kid yeah. was playing those. And when I was a kid, the, there were a couple instances of, 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 of children playing the drums that, mm -hmm. that i that i saw like you know on the partridge family or something sure. obviously they that's hal blaine playing that stuff but it was the, it was yeah. an eight-year-old boy you know no, playing the play. yeah and there was this duo called the keen brothers i think it was k-e-a-n and it was it was two brothers and one was like a genius keyboard player and the other and the other brother played drums and they would they would be on like the dinosaur show or the mike douglas show they made records completely mm -hmm. lost lost to history but but uh i think maybe that was my first inkling that oh wow i could this is a he, thing i can do he's a kid and i could probably do that right you know and then i i i took lessons uh not terribly long um maybe from from like uh 12 to to maybe 14 or so so it wasn't long so i got like the little you know the the sort basics down theory and understanding yeah of, a know, little bit note. yeah yeah and, yeah and then i immediately started playing in bands when i, I was around 14 yeah and i just kind of learned playing playing with people and also along with records that was the big thing for me once i i figured out oh i can play along with this graham parker album yeah. you know with these these good headphones that kind of block out everything yeah, and you can, you can hear the music while still yes playing. yeah that that changed my world definitely like that that was like oh wow this is i can learn a lot yeah doing doing this that's awesome yeah i, I have a similar story um uh, nirvana is unplugged mm -hmm. that was mine oh yeah okay yeah that's where i learned uh right right because it's such simple simple stuff happening on that show but mm -hmm. uh so so foundational you know oh yeah that's yeah. everything yeah um <clears throat> so when did you get your sort of when did were you guys like road warriors with the super chunk and stuff and just sort of built up your your fan base over time yeah yeah i, I joined the band right before their second album came out mm -hmm. um so this is um uh september of 91 okay and and um so when i joined they already had a little bit of a buzz going like they were they were a very hip band in mm -hmm. in like the you know the, the underground indie circles and so we pretty much just toured and made records you know for for the next 10 years just winning uh, yeah yeah and um so but by around 2001 we put out we had we we put out a record a, a week after 9-11 and and still toured and it was it just sucked it was terrible but um so after that we kind of went on hiatus 
but but to answer your question, yeah, we just kind of killed it for 10 years. Yeah, uh, win people over night after night. Try, trying to, yeah, yeah. 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 Um did you ever do any sort of uh like drum corps? Or have you ever seen the like the really proficient drum corps and like the rudimental percussion? I I, I was in school band uh-huh. uh uh I always forget that I was in school band for for uh <laughs> for a couple of years in junior high school, not in high school at all, but okay. but so so got a little bit of of that like exposure to it anyway. And I think we marched twice. Right on. I, I think I think I walked and played twice. Okay. Uh but but beyond that. You know, the closest I probably got to that was learning 50 ways to leave your lover by Steve. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's an important one, though. You know, that, that yeah. five-stroke roll or whatever it's yeah. called. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so who blew, besides um, <clears throat> besides the pep rally, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I've I've read stuff and I've seen that uh, you, you say Steve Jordan is sort of your guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, um, before I was in Super Chunk, I'll, I'll try to make this as concise as I can because it's kind of convoluted. Um, when I was, a, when I was um, 19, I'm, I auditioned for a band in North Carolina. So I, I was living outside of Philly. I was playing in, in, in like an underground band called Psychotic Norman. And we would play with uh, Suicidal Tendencies and the Miss, uh, uh, the Minutemen and... Uh, Decroitson and bands like that. And, and um, but I, I got this opportunity to to fly down to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where my brother was living. He he had a, a track scholarship to Wake Forest, which is in yeah. Winston-Salem. So this is uh, 1980, like this is January of 86 now. And um, Psychotic Norman was kind of on the rails. We had a single out, but that was kind of it. And hmm. um, he said, my brother called and said, this band is looking for a drummer. And it was very much not what I was playing. It was like a very much interested, uh, influenced by the Stones and the band and yeah. very kind of roots rock, um, Dylan, which I, I, I did like when I was I was younger. But by now I'm into like Husker Du and the replacements sure, and sure, a little more stuff like that. Yeah. And so uh, but my dad gave me uh, bought me a ticket to go down and try out and i got in the band so um i decided to do that and two months later we got we got signed by clive davis to arista records whoa yeah i was 19 and like my dream had already come true yeah a year a year before i said i was gonna I think when I was like 16, I said, I'll give myself till I'm 20. Right. And and somehow it worked. Uh, Good timing. <laughs> yeah. But that was a disaster. You know, we, um, all the red tape you, okay. you know, that, that goes with that and, yeah. and then some. So we only got halfway in into making a record. We we did, did it at Ardent with Jim Dickinson in Memphis. And that was great. It was right after he had done um, Please to Meet Me by the Replacements. Oh, boy. And, um uh, same studio. Uh, and so that that experience on Aris is kind of like ground on for, it felt like it was a decade, but I'm sure it was only like two years or so. But uh, so fi- finally we get dropped without even finishing a record. Um, and we got this publishing deal 
And the woman who was our point person there said, I want to get you in the studio with this Steve Jordan. Okay. And at this point, Steve was best known as the drummer in the Letterman band, mm -hmm. uh, Mach 1. Played on the uh, play with the Blues Brothers on that on that record, a um, lot of stuff like that. And yeah. he was he was becoming a record producer, and he had just gotten off the road with Keith Richards uh, on the on the tour for for his first solo record, which Steve played on and co-produced. Mm -hmm. uh, talk is cheap, and so we find ourselves. You know, uh, it was the week the wall came down in in. Oh wow! Germany. That's that's my main memory of placing it. Uh, so, we got to go to the Hit Factory in Times Square, um, and Nico Bolas was was the engineer. And Nico had just done um, Neil Young's Freedom album, which mm -hmm. has you know which has that uh, uh, what was the hit? Rocking the Free World. Rocking the Free World. Yeah. And so um, basically to prepare for this session we were doing with him, basically we were going to record five songs mm -hmm. at the Hit Factory in Times Square. Uh, Nico Bolas is the engineer. Right. I'm using I'm using the drum kit that Steve played with uh, Neil Young on, on, on SNL. Right. Like this, this very vintage, I think a 28-inch bass drum. Oh, boy. Gr great, <laughs> like hand-painted head. And so... Basically, he he was such a great influence in that he never told me what to play, but you just kind of soak up, you just kind of soak up his thing. And um, like he would, we'd go over to his his apartment at, like really late at night, and uh, and he he had like a whole floor of of, of, a, of a building, and. Had had a cool little drum kit and and some amps and we would just play through the songs and I don't recall him ever even sitting down at the drums like to like to say try this it was always just like just watching yeah and uh, <clears throat> when we actually it, it came time to record he would just stand in the middle of the floor mm -hmm. and we're all kind of spread out and he would just play that play a tambourine just to kind of like keep us in time and if he was like grooving it was good and. Sure. Um, and so, so from then on, I, I, I kind of used him and also Charlie Drayton, who was uh, also in, in the Keith Richards band and, and now plays drums with Bob Dylan. Um, I really loved how those guys played. Like uh, Charlie's the drummer on um, I Touch Myself by the Divinals and Love Shack by B-52s and Merry Go Round by the Replacements. Very identifiable, uh, identifiable sounds. Yeah. But really stripped down like like just pretty much almost like phil rudd kind of but but with like a bunch of swing and just groove that sort of yeah. thing so i really sort of tried to that informed a lot of of my drumming so now we're at like 89 i joined super chunk mm -hmm. and that, that's kind of how i'm playing so it was a very odd mix of like this yeah. kind of that that kind of drumming and Dream. then this band that's like early soul asylum Husker do kind of thing. So, yeah. but, but I was lucky that I, I had those, those, both of those things in, in, in my palette, so to yeah. speak, you know what I mean? So sure. I, I got really lucky, you know, uh, once like people would start to ask me to play on records that weren't punk rock, I did have Do it. Yeah, that, that exactly. kind of stuff in my quiver. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, all right. Gotta ask you, uh, the please to meet me. I heard that thing when I was, 
maybe 12 years old. What's mm-hmm. your favorite track? Um, my favorite. God, there's so many. I know. My, <laughs> the, the two the two that come to mind first are Nevermind, which I think has has Chris's greatest drum fill in it right at the very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, Alex Chilton. Chilton. Nice. But I re- I remember we were we actually met, met Jim uh, at our management's office, and they they managed the replacements also. Uh, right. And, and um and I remember sitting in, in their office listening to early early mixes of those songs, and and I and I think still the best sounding song is uh, it's one of us I don't even like that much. It's called I I don't know. Uh huh. Like that was I I remember like that was the fullest kind of mix. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that's my favorite record of theirs, I think. And it, it was really cool to just be exactly where they, they yeah. did it. And, and you could see the little vomit vomit <laughs> stains on the wall that are so legendary. Using that 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 kit, too, that must uh, just kind of elevates your game when you're in there, you know? Yes, that that was a different kit. This was, okay. this was probably, the, probably the same kit that Chris used on Please to Meet Me, though. And there was a very interesting... Uh, thing in that session was that um uh jim had done this with chris i guess you know chris and and i do this too where i most of what my sound is Mm -hmm. is from the waist up yeah i mean like a lot of that i I could use some work on my feet and uh i guess chris was the same way so to make chris really think about what he was doing with the bass drum they got one of these industrial um like a like a, a big cardboard uh vat that you would put whatever chemicals in like like chemical cleaners yeah yeah uh industrial so it's like a giant 22 inch round uh thing and so they, they cut a hole in the bottom so now you've got this and they put it in front of the bass drum so now yeah. you've got this you know wall 50 inch deep <laughs> bass drum and, yeah. and so he did that he did that with me also and it really it does make you add some poop you just, or something to it oh that and also it's so it's so in your face that you can't not just think right. about what your your foot is doing so right. it was a really good idea even if if it wasn't even used in the final mm-hmm. blend yeah, it was, it was a, it's a great psychological i think the, thing. the motown trick was sort of similar but they would just kind of cover the bass drum in a blanket Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you don't get the length, you know, for the resonance, but you you got a little bit more of the like the chest thump. Yeah. And that that room, I'm not sure if you've ever ever been in that room in Motown. It's it's pretty small. So like you really really wonder, like, how on earth did they? they There's not much separation, but everybody, I'm sure, just knew. Sure. How hard to hit, how, you know, so it's those guys were true at that level. Yeah wow nightclub jitters yes off the uh it's the totally it's the different feel on that record but for mm-hmm. me that's just the one that was like the whole record's mind-blowing yeah but that something about that relaxed that might even be a be the the only take the first take really uh my understanding is uh tommy requested like a an upright bass it might have been one of those like new fangled uh, you know uh, kind of electric sticks something like that yeah never played one before and 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 jim said he was just like 
immediately could play it. And so that might be the the, the first take of that. Wow. Of that song. And um, we did that record on the same board that, that they did Please to Meet Me. And it was at the at this time where Dickinson talks about it a lot in, in interviews about Please to Meet Me. Um, it was like an, an early, like really good sampler called the Fairlight. Okay. And um, it was like a like a spaceship sort of sure, sure. thing. You know, it cost like a million dollars. Somehow Arden bought one of these things. And so it was like a very early sampler. And my understanding is a lot of, of Please to Meet Me is kind of, Jim just kind of like cut and pasted things. Like a lot of the, the weird sounds you hear are are just kind of like flown in. So he was he and and the the engineer was I think a guy named John Hampton. Uh, they were really good at like performing surgery on this sure. stuff, but with no click. They, they uh, I remember wow. him say because uh, we were <laughs> we were playing to a you know a pretty rigid click on our stuff. Yeah. And I I remember saying to him, did the replacements use a click? And he goes, they would have laughed me out of the room if I suggested <laughs> that. <laughs> That's gonna take six more months. Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Chris was I, Chris is an amazing drummer, and um, yeah, he he was a big influence too around around that time. And uh, he's um, for my money, like in terms of like punk drumming on on Stink, there's hardly anybody better than than him. He was so good, mm. so good. Have you uh, kept up with the sort of punk rock thing? Uh, like what? Like um. Like uh, new, new bands or like, a, like the pop punk thing. As a as a drummer, especially, there's mm -hmm. records that just there's two records that really uh, from the drumming thing. There's there's a band mm -hmm. called Lagwagon. They're from. Oh the, sure, I remember them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Who was the drummer? I don't remember. Uh, I, I I never saw them. I don't think. Oh, uh, at the time it was this guy Derek Plord, I believe his name was. He's, oh. He's, I do know this. I've oh. I, I've I, I don't know this world at all, but I I I, I have the, the the documentary on um the Fat Records. Fat Records, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's my exposure to it. Yeah. The, the uh the Duh record that they put out. Okay. It's if you haven't heard it, he's it's incredible. Like okay, the, the chops he had in that and right. how fast that is, and then the other one would be uh. Brooks Wackerman, mm -hmm. when he played, I think his first record with Bad Religion. Right. Uh, Process of Belief, maybe it's called. Yeah. This dude's just amazing what, what, it's, what's, what it's become from, you know. Right. The humblest of beginnings, I guess. To me, the king of that is Bill Stevenson. Yes, absolutely. And, and I, like, I, I can't like, get my head around it. But yeah. the energy that guy makes with the with with the very little technique, like his touch. Oh, he's super light now. Like it's yeah. very um and, and he can still pull he, it off. Oh he yeah, he's and that that's probably my biggest influence in turn. Like when I joined Super Chunk, mm -hmm. I was kind of out of punk rock. Like I still I still liked a lot of it. I, I still like to listen to it, but I was playing in this band that sounded like you know, like the Rolling Stones at this point. Sure. So, so when I got it, back to Super Chunk, like the record I, I kind of just practiced with a lot to get my, th that back was, was Liveage, which is that first oh, live yeah. 
Sentence record, because it's like my age, you know, it's just insane. Like uh, that did not come easily to me at all. So did you I really a, had to work. Did you mainline coffee or espresso to you know, make that? No, no, no. Uh, but but then when I start, oh, definitely. <laughs> when I started playing with Bob Mould, um, you know, we we were doing a lot of Husker Deuce songs. And that's one of my favorite bands of all time. But I I never really played. Yeah along with those records and he grant hard was the oh my god those those, those super fast rolls are insane like it took me forever yeah to, to even like i'm close to that um um so yeah those are my guys those are um and gina shock from the go-go's not not a punk band but like she was a huge is still a huge influence really she, great she is on my list of drummer oh, yeah. dying to uh yeah. to talk to and she actually the other day was like what's it about like oh my god finally so uh she might be one of the drummers on this thing yeah so i'm very excited she, about she's one of my big heroes for sure yeah for sure yeah uh can you kind of expand on that well um incredible foot okay the, um i actually wrote about this in a book that just came out it's like, i don't think i have it here though it's um uh it's a book about punk rock drumming it's called yeah. what is it called uh the forbidden beat is that it that's it that's it yes okay. yeah yeah so the, he asked me to to write uh like the 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 five I guess five songs that i okay that i i practice to to get ready for a tour like mm -hmm. like the ones that are for me are, are hard they're probably not hard <laughs> to, to most people but but uh one of the songs is is uh we got the beat by by the go-go's because like i don't have a terribly like awesome bass drum foot okay uh in terms of like power so that's a song i will just i'll play a lot because it's just it's just constant you know um so that's a big one for me uh and she just like was is super powerful super you know her her fills are awesome really uh brutal tom mm -hmm. tom action you know like yeah. so yeah she's she's just great great choices yeah, um musical that doesn't get in the and, way no no great and 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 became a really good songwriter too wrote uh she she had her own band they only made one record uh, oddly she had a, a band with ellen degeneres's brother wow. uh and, and and it was called house of shock okay a and she she was the guitar player and singer and really good songs and then she ended up co-writing a couple big hit songs like one for maybe miley cyrus and one for someone else of that really in that scene yeah yeah so wow way to go um, um not to get too nerdy with the drum thing but you mentioned your foot is kind of a, a lighter foot do you uh play with your stool kind of way up in the air or are you it a little lower it it depends like <laughs> what, what kind of injury i've got going oh. I, i've been really lucky I, I i don't i don't have i'm really healthy for the amount of touring that i do and i do yeah. yeah and so um it depends like i remember we played this uh this thing uh it, it was kind of like a, a tribute to bob mold okay poster right here when was it it was uh there's no date on it um 
That's oh, uh, 2011. Okay. A- and and uh, so J- Jason Narducci and I, we play the the bass and drums with Bob. Uh-huh. We were kind of the kind of the the core band for you know for Bob. Bob played some songs, and then Britt Britt Daniel played a song or two with us, and then um, uh, Tad and um, uh, Craig from the Hold Steady, oh. Margaret Show. Yeah. And and Grohl Grohl came out and played uh played guitar and sang on on like maybe like five or six Husker Du songs and that was great. And it was funny because I thought I kind of sat low back then. Yeah. Uh, and, and and he goes, "Oh yeah, when I Oh, cuz we switched on a song. I I I took his guitar and played guitar on a song and he played the drums and he just like got this thing to go like lower than I even imagined it could go. Yeah. It was, it was just like, <coughs> um, so I really can't do that anymore just because of, I, I only have, it's funny as I've gotten older, yeah. I only have like an hour oh, okay. and, and like 12 minutes left in, like, in, in that, if it's, if it's at like an, sure. like an upright angle. So I just found and this is kind of informed by Bill Stevenson and and, and like Dave Lombardo a little bit, where mm-hmm. I try to just kind of like it's all in here now. Like it's not really, yeah. not the full kind of caveman. No, you, I, I don't know how guys can keep that up for so long. No, no, yeah. especially you know I'm 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 I'll be 56 on Halloween, so it's now it's like it's all about I don't know if ergonomics is the word, but it's like sure yeah. How can I sit where like nothing's going? <laughs> happen so extra expended energy and yes yeah. yeah and with the with the mountain goats i sit higher than i used to and um i always like to kind of fool around with the, the angle of the snare drum yeah so like a lot of times in the mountain goats i've got it almost like at a charlie watts kind of buddy rich kind of pretty wow. dramatic yeah yeah tilt because like if i got a little pain going in the elbow yeah you it's, can... it's it's like less a it's less of a movement that's needed. So there's a lot right. of that going on now. That's, 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 that's deep because uh, I don't think a lot of people think of that. They'll just try to play through the pain or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. And yeah. absolutely. And you know, your body, like I noticed like my, my body's like shrinking a little bit as I get, just because your, your muscle tone just kind of like evaporates a little yeah. bit or it, it, it like recedes a little bit. So it's all just kind of, very minor adjustments that I think I always thought I'd be playing at this age, but I didn't think I'd be doing it like this professionally still. Mm-hmm. So you don't really think about, Oh, well, there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of adjustments and things that are going to come up that you will just seem laughable at your, you know, right, at right. your hardcore 25 year old self, you know, anything <laughs> a three hour show. No problem. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um wow well other than being a super talented drummer who's been in some of my favorite bands in the world you're also one of the funniest people oh especially drummer wise that uh coming across some of your things like that was one thing that really stood out to me was your your humor and that you've also done some comedy Mm -hmm. writing how did you get yeah. into that? Through the back door. It, it, it's really yeah. interesting. I, I had no, I always loved comedy. I loved, 
Second City TV when I was a kid, yeah. that sort of thing. Starrett Live, um, comedy album, Steve Martin. But it was never something like I really had aspirations for. And then I met um, Super Chunk was playing a show. It was it was July of nine uh, uh, of ninety one with My Bloody Valentine and Pavement in yeah. New York. And this guy comes backstage who who was a friend of the people in Super Chunk. I uh, see. I I just joined, so I didn't really know okay at all. It was Tom Sharpling. Oh. And we just hit it off and we became really good friends. And eventually Tom had a, a radio show on WFMU and we talk on the phone so much. So we kind of sort you know, of had, like give and take. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like this funny rapport. And, and we had these little scenarios we'd make up. And so one time we just decided to do this long form comedy call. So this is this is 97. And I called in as this guy uh, who had written a rock reference book called Rock, Rot, and Rule. Just like really stupid concept. Sure. Guy was very, very ill-informed. and But he's the talking Michael, about this book. The Michael Scott and, and, of rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so these people that didn't know it was a joke, because there was no, there was no precedent for for tom having anything like this on his show right they thought it was real so what <laughs> followed was just like hours of people calling in to say how stupid i was and <laughs> and i would just kind of like be a brick wall and i wouldn't relent and sure. anyway two, three years later we put this thing out as a cd okay uh, called rock rock rotten rule and and we'd give it to bands because when you're you know you're touring you just you know yeah, your ears yeah. are fried from playing yeah. so you you just want to hear like talking or something yeah. <laughs> if anything and so we gave it to like to like guided by voices leader kenny and uh david bazan uh people like that a, a spoon and they would just kind of pass it around to other bands and it just kind of became this little word of mouth thing and then through that uh i think david cross got it and then oh wow all, all, all these things kind of led to to um people going oh this is funny yeah, people, people like who actually had jobs, you know, right. kind of saying, "Oh, do you want to try this?" So, I, I was still playing music this whole time, but right. like I, I was getting gigs, writing funny commercials for MTV. So this is like the, the early aughts, right? And um, and uh, Tom Sharpling went on to be a, a, a executive producer at at the show Monk. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, so he he wrote and was on board for the, the entire run of the show. And so he got me a gig writing an episode, which was really fun. And uh, and I, I've written for some um, Adult Swim shows over the years and mm -hmm. um, uh, gotten to act in some things. So it's all kind of like music's the main thing. But I, I, I love I love having this other stuff. And we still do the best show every Tuesday. And mm -hmm. that's sort that's sort of my my main creative outlet. Right. Like in, just in terms of terms of like me doing just what silly, I like to do. Silly yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. But, it, it, but it's great because like I I I feel like all my dreams came true. I don't really have a boss. That's and like I have like good jobs. Yeah, it's amazing. So it's like I have nothing to complain about. Yeah. No. <laughs> we should we should all be so lucky as to get right, to the level, right. you know, of yeah. But so achieve. But but the comedy thing, yeah, I, I feel like Tom and I, maybe m me more than Tom, because Tom, Tom definitely did have aspirations, but I felt like, God, how did I end up, like, how did we end up <laughs> on Seth, on, on the couch at Seth Meyers, you know, right. like, just nuts, so. 
Wow. Um, All good. <laughs> do you have anything uh, you'd like to plug? Not that I have a giant fan base, but it could be growing. Um, mountain goats are always doing stuff. We're going to go to Europe uh, in a month. Wow. Um, nice. First time in, in forever. Uh, I'm going to go see Bob Mould play solo tomorrow. I don't know if we have anything coming up as a band or not, but uh, oh, there's always something coming up with Bob and with Super Chunk. And uh, Tom and I are always doing the the best show every Tuesday night on thebestshow.net available for your podcast needs the next day where your podcasts are purchased. (laughs) Um, That's about it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, when you're living, living high on the hog, you don't really want that to change. I wish you could see how, how how buried in in junk I am in my house. here. (laughs) I had to to change the the camera because like half of the ceiling in my live room like down <laughs> right right let's not see how <laughs> how hard it is here right right oh, john uh i really appreciate you taking your time of out your day for this uh you Absolutely. are you are like uh one of the north stars i look to oh, as like a appreciate uh, that. <laughs> just getting over the 40 uh hump as a uh, an indie musician you know well I do want to say this also. I, um, when did this happen? Oh, so in in early 08, my now ex and I moved to mm-hmm. Brooklyn, and I thought my pro music years were done. Like, I, I thought I was going to become like some kind of writer for a show or something up there. And somehow music just pulled me back it, it, it was almost like music wasn't done with me right and so i say this just be, just to say i thought i was completely done with music but you're never you're never done mm-hmm. oh that's always cool. something will always come up I, and it's you know always just be be looking for those it. those opportunities yeah because they're out there yeah, no I matter how old you are. I couldn't picture a day where I l- at least didn't think about like performing music or, you know, mm-hmm. something. It was, there's always something musically that's like, right. there's your charge. There's your, that's what, you know, is when yeah. get you through the day is this mm-hmm. whatever. So um, I guess I know <laughs> it seems a lot of drummers uh, when they're done Maybe with the the touring life, were, were you, did you ever think about maybe going into like a a producer role or anything? Did is that something? You that know, you? It, it's interesting because I did go to school for that. Uh, um, okay, but but it was very short. It was like a a, a month long <laughs> course. Yeah, uh, it would have been like eighty eighty five, and it it was uh, in this tiny town in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I learned basics, but the main thing I learned there was that I liked playing a lot more than than the, being the behind the board. Thing. Yeah, so I, it, it's almost like with teaching, I, I wouldn't know how to teach, but like my, my, um, maybe my attention span is not what it need it where it should be for that. Like with Bob Mold, we, we do these records with this engineer who's awesome named Bo Sorensen, and. 
I'm just in awe of his ability to not look at his phone, even though the phone is right here. Like the entire, he never looks at it and he's just focused on whatever we're doing for a hundred times in a row. It's, it's nuts. So I'm not wired like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about it the other day and I'm, it seemed like a lot of drummers kind of extend their career by doing that. And I was trying to figure out sort of in my own head why. And mm -hmm. the only thing I could come up with was besides piano players, I think drummers are the only other ones that, that use the whole EQ spectrum. Oh, that's interesting. You yeah, know, the I can see that. Through the cymbals. So right? they, they kind of have to always worry about you know, mixing and making sure their hands are the mm -hmm. same volume and yeah, you know, maybe it's just true. stuff through like, oh, they have a, maybe a more than a guitar player who's just thinking about like two and a half octaves or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, something that I've been thinking about and I'm probably going to ask every single person that does the podcast about it, but that was just yeah, my, but my theory of it was, oh, it's no, you know, Kind of makes sense. Yeah, like and best ear in the band. Yeah, and it's interesting. The Mountain Goats. We just uh, we were we were on tour. We, we had a day off in Austin, and we went into this little studio to record just a song, just to see what it would sound like. And mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I found myself because it was a pretty small room, having to do just that, like just kind of like just. All right, can't this hand shouldn't be that loud because. <laughs> That guy's right there and his amp is right there, you know, so there's too yeah, much. maybe there's a lot. Yeah, a lot more uh, things to be considered sonically yeah. for, for a drummer. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's what I came up with. And uh, it just seems to be like the most, I guess, the best argument for it is. But uh, I get that it could be very tedious having a, you know, if, if you're a player and you're, you're yeah. in a situation where you're not you're not the guy that gets to play. Right. Be like, ah, I can do this. Let me just, let me do this. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the, that was the great thing about Jordan was that there wasn't a moment. Right. Where, where he, I, I mean, like I was, I was probably 22 or three or so like really young and mm -hmm. I've recorded before, but like, you know, not, not in, the, yeah. in these circumstances. So he, I mean, just, uh, you know, he was so, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Non-obtrusive, I guess. Uh, and, um, you know, just so supportive. And I I, I remember he hearing Kenny Aronoff uh, talk mm -hmm. about uh, uh, about being replaced. Like when he he joined Mellencamp's band. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think Steve Cropper was the producer. And he just didn't have what steve wanted like it, it he was like a he's like kind of a, a fusion-y kind of guy i guess yeah yeah and, he, and so you know john mellencamp is more pretty, pretty stripped down board, yeah. and, and so there's a great article it was in modern drummer about just him talking about you know i was he, he was like shocked that that he wasn't able to play on this record but he said i'm gonna stay here yeah. and see what i need to do like what i'm not doing and, and probably, that made all the difference in the world. Probably the smartest career move he made. Yeah. I think if he leaves that room, as good as anybody could be, you might get forgotten about. Right. You know what I mean? But the fact yeah. that he, he had that thing where he could check his ego at the door 
and just be like, right. Right, I can get better, clearly. Yeah, yeah. And and he is the sound of John Mellencamp as oh, far yeah. as I'm concerned. Some of that, that stuff. Snare drum, just not one fill. I, I can't get my head around that 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 famous fill he has. It's like, um, oh yeah. Have you read his book? No. Is it good? He he, he talked about the fill. It's uh oh I it, I saw it. Jack and Diane. Jack and Diane. I I saw an interview. Oh, no, it's, it's in that movie. It's it, it's in Hired Gun. That's what it is. Right. Uh, that's what it is. And he's talking about the walk from like the board yes, to his yes. drum set. And it's like, yes. you fucked this up. Yeah. <laughs> and it's such a weird thing, but it's so good too. And that's so the thing. Great. It's it's like this offbeat sort of Bill Collins-esque. Ah. John, I can't thank you enough. I will thank, thank you a million more times. Are you an East Coast guy now? Yeah, where do you live? I'm in Jersey. Oh, rats! We a super chunk just played Atlantic City at that 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 uh, what's it called? Um, oh, the fest down there. Atlantic Atlantic City, uh, in, yeah. in Atlantic City. Okay. Um. So I'm sorry. I, I, I don't play I don't play Jersey much, but that. So it's getting harder to find venues. There's a couple big ones around, but it's a it's co- sort of like either you're going to be outside Philly or outside this of New York. You know. Yeah. White Eagle Hall. We play a bunch. Uh, okay. Yeah, in um, Said, Jersey City. Jersey City. Yeah. Um, thank you, man. I, I'm, of course. I'm sure an hour is is a lot, but I appreciate you. Absolutely. Here, man. And My pleasure. Thank you for reaching out. I appreciate it. Absolutely.